Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanny's Forgiveness and Ferns. Have you done things that have been ill-advised and perhaps just a little wrong? Yes, we all have. Do you ever regret them? Not so much. Well, yes, for you maybe, but I just don't see why you do something that you're going to end up regretting in the first place. I mean, you obviously had rational reasons to do it, in which case it's, it's more a matter of studying what you did wrong so you cannot repeat the same mistake next time. Ah, yes, yes, sorry. Back to the ad. Well, if forgiveness is what you need, then Franny's Forgiveness and Ferns is just the thing for you. Are you beating yourself up about something you did ages ago? My boyfriend, for instance, is exactly the type of person who will do something completely random with no forethought whatsoever that invariably gets him or someone else into trouble and then years later beats himself up over it, even though I try to point out the futility of this behavior, a thankless service, I assure you, and to what end? Yes, you're right, I don't have this problem. No, I'm not a sociopath, although I often wish I were. I experience a wealth of emotion, just not over idiotic trivialities. You know, I've noticed that all these people who sit around bragging about how few F-bombs they actually give, give quite a lot. I am the very model they admire. I truly give enormously few F-bombs. No, I do not think you should give me a test for sociopathy. Because I think you'd be honestly scared by the results. Any more questions? No, I like Franny, and we should get to her advertisement. Franny will forgive you. Get it off your chest. Tell Franny anything short of cold-blooded murder. Ah, so... Just when things actually get interesting. And she will forgive you with not just a big, warm hug, but a delightful fern. Hey, that's a fern? Is that one of... Well, of course you tried her out. Well, no, it is a good fern. Well, apparently, I own one of these ferns, and I must say, they are quite nice. Forgiveness in a fern from Franny. See, we won't have to give back the money this week. Yes, well, we didn't have to give back Marcus's money last week. Had we gone with my proposal, Marcus would have been far too frightened and traumatized to ever have dared ask for his money back. But, all right, we're trying to play nice. <laughs> In any case, this week we have our second installment of a charming little tale we call Michael and the Monster, Part 2. Long after Corey and his wife Maisie died, their great-grandson Michael was born. He grew up in the swamplands, in the village founded over a century before by a group of escaped indentured servants. His house was made out of wood. It rested on stilts above the water, and every family in the region owned a boat or two with which they got around. Food was plentiful. The trick was not winding up as something else's dinner yourself. 
Sophisticated urbanites tend to laugh at such things as learning to wrestle alligators as a kid, but the same ones laughing wouldn't last a month in the land Michael grew up in. Being able to wrestle alligators was actually a great skill to have, both the self-preservation, incredible fitness training, and a good introduction to the martial arts. Michael's biggest problem was that he was born in a period of years where few other children were. There were a bunch several years above him, and eventually another bunch several years below, but he didn't really have any playmates anywhere near his own age. Thus, he was a lonely child who wandered the swamplands by himself, searching out things to amuse him and learning to get lost in his imagination, dreaming of fantastic places far away that he would hear about in the fairy tales the adults told, passed down and embellished from years and years gone by. The tale of the great escape was still told, but a century later it had changed and evolved so much as to be unrecognizable to the actual truth. The monster had been changed to an army of little black knights who spoke French and had been brought to life from clay figures Cory and the crew had made. This is why when Michael met the monster, he had no idea what it actually was. Michael was roaming aimlessly about the marsh one afternoon when he saw some brush covering a large hole in the lower region of a great tree. The hole was on a dry bit of muddy land, perfect for a crawl space to explore, so he started clearing it out. As he was doing so, he spied two eyes peering at him from the hole. He yelped and jumped back. He stood staring at the eyes, waiting to see what they would do, but they just blinked and peered at him. He imagined they almost looked sad, sad and lonely, just like him. So slowly, cautiously, he continued clearing the brush away. After he was done, he moved back. Slowly and also cautiously, the black monster lumbered out of the hole. It didn't make any sudden moves and seemed nervous to be seen but it also seemed like it was so desperate for some kind of companionship that it was willing to risk it. It stood awkwardly, hunched and lumbering before Michael, and after a minute made a sad noise. Michael carefully approached it and reached out his hand. The monster was cool to the touch. Michael withdrew his hand and after a minute reached it out again. The two of them stood there, in the dim afternoon swamp, a boy with his hand extended, touching the tummy of a black, hairy monster. Every afternoon that he could, Michael went to visit his new friend. He tried to teach it to play various games, and the monster tried hard to learn. The monster wasn't very smart, but it tried, and its attempts often made Michael laugh with delight. He would sometimes bring it close to the village, to wait for him behind the trees while he ate with his folks. He didn't tell anyone about it. It was his delightful secret. Michael assumed no one knew. He was half right. No one in the village did know. But unbeknownst to Michael, he was being observed. Little, soft, black-and-white gnome-like creatures watched him and the monster closely from under the moss. Over dinner that night, Michael's parents talked to each other, mostly about their neighbor Duncan, who hadn't been seen in a few days now. They had a number of theories, but sadly it was probably a crocodile. If those things got you, that was it. They swam off and ate every bit of you. There might be some bones down on the water somewhere, but... Shame. Duncan was a good man, 
After dinner, Michael went to his room and did his favorite hobby, which was to play an instrument his Uncle Gore had made for him. A few people around these parts played a bit or two, but Michael without a doubt had a particular talent for it. He practiced for a good two hours and eventually went to bed. The following week, Kaylee went missing. That was unusual, losing two people in two weeks. Possibly a particularly vicious croc had come to these parts, in which case the town would have to take matters into hand. But there was no sign of anything out of the ordinary, other than some strange cries from an animal no one could identify. Was that the culprit? Something new? It was this line of thought that set Michael off. But he knew it just couldn't be his friend. I mean, it couldn't. Could it? He went to find his monster. It was delighted to see Michael, and Michael gave it the usual head-scratch, then tried to ask it if it knew anything about the missing people. The monster couldn't speak, however, just make the usual noises. While they were talking, however, an older kid stumbled across them and screamed and started throwing stones. The mixture of fear and aggression made the monster snap instantly. It was a creature of instinct, and as soon as it smelled fright and anger, it lost its mind and its base nature took over. It leapt over Michael and attacked the other boy, ripping him apart in a mad frenzy. When the frenzy was over, it came back to itself. It looked down at the pile of bones and splayed guts, then looked over at Michael and gave a sad, sad cry. Michael started screaming at it. He ran over and started hitting the monster, his best, best friend. The monster just cried. Then Michael ran away. He knew he had to tell someone. Michael was so engrossed, he didn't see all the shifting and commotion that was happening under the moss. If he had listened closely, he would have heard a high-pitched buzzing, but he wasn't paying attention. He was running home. He tearfully told his parents everything. They listened in shock and almost disbelief. But Michael wasn't a liar, and odd things happened out in the swamplands at night. They were interrupted by shouting outside. Their neighbors were rowing up. Another man, Tenson, had just been taken. Something black and never before seen had come straight into his home, and right in front of his family carried him off. His parents started talking to them, telling them what Michael had told them. But Michael himself suddenly ran off, splashing through the water as they all yelled at him to stop. He knew. He knew where the monster was headed. Soaking wet, he went straight to the tree where he had first found his friend. And sure enough, there it was, carrying Tenson on its back. It looked behind at Michael and gave a loud, painful cry, then disappeared with the man into the hole. Michael only paused for a few moments. Then he ran to the tree and leapt into the hole. The dark black hole that little known to him led down, down underground to the subterranean city of the Little Gnomes. Stay tuned next week for part three. And of course, as every week, we present a nice little ditty performed by one of the members of our New Albion Orchestra. So sit back, relax, and Here's your cover song for this week.
cash machine is blue and green for a hundred and twenty and a small service fee I could spend three dollars and sixty-three cents on diet coca-cola and unlit cigarettes Listen to poets when nobody gives a fuck. How hot and sorrowful this machine that begs for luck. All my lies are always wishes. I know I would die if I could come back new. Good life with a nose for things, a fresh wind and bright sky to enjoy my suffering, a hole without a key if I break my tongue. Speaking of tomorrow, how will it ever come? All my Lies are always wishes I know I would die If I could come back new I'm down on my hands and knees Every time the doorbell rings I shake like a toothache When I hear myself sing All my lies are always wishes I know I would die If I could come back new I would like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the fallen leaves filling up shopping bags. <laughs>